Hello and welcome to Health to Wealth, a series brought to you by Accor. I'm Annie Hood. We are at peak complexity for data today, but there is actually a very simple solution the other side, and that is the individual, if you put them at the centre of their data, everything else then works. Julian Ranger wants you to be able to share more of your personal data safely. Why is that important? Effective use of your data can have a huge impact on your health and well-being. And in this episode of Health to Wealth, you're going to find out why. Julian's background is in engineering. He founded his own company at the age of 23, and he sold it to Lockheed Martin in 2005, and then spent two years traveling the world with his family. Since then, he's become an angel investor, and in 2009, he founded DigiMe, a company designed to help people manage and control their personal data. Julian says the inspiration came from what he learned about data sharing between aircraft. He's motivated by helping organisations benefit from richer personal data. Now, that may not strike you as new, but what matters here is the entirely ethical, consensual way that data is handled. Julian, how can sharing more of your own data improve your life? Well, actually, in very, very many ways. If we think about it, we've been sharing data since time immemorial. So if I go to the butchers and I say to the butcher, hey, I like this cut of meat, this joint, and I didn't like that last time, but I like this. What are we doing? We're sharing very personal data so that we get a personalized service. Now, that's retail, but it's the same with the doctor. When we go to the doctor, we say, well, I've had this and I've done this and so on and so forth. We have always shared personal data, but we're in a new digital world where there is so much more data and there are so many better services we can have but it needs that digital data. And the problem is we can't get hold of it and we can't share it. But we want to move, for example, to personalized medicine, thinking of health. Now, personalized medicine means medicine that is about me, for me, bearing in mind who I am now, who I have been in the past, who I want to be in the future, and colliding that with all of the technologies and everything else. How do we have personalized medicine if the the services, the doctors, the applications haven't got the data to work on that is unique to me. So I have to be able to share that data. And right now we can't until we change the the way we do, which is what we're talking about. And so it is fundamentally to new services, but it's not just in health. I mean, it is in retail and in banking and in utilities and in smart cities and IoT. Everywhere that we engage, we can engage digitally with more data. Now, inevitably, we're going to talk about, oh, I'm not sure I want to share all that, and the dangers, and people are going to know all about me. So how do you, the real question that we set out to solve was how do we actually make more data available, better data available, but always do it with privacy, security, and consent at its heart, so that actually it is safe to share more data and therefore get more value from it. And to exactly that point, Julian, helping people to be the steward of their own data, that's what you're passionate about. Tell me how you got to that point. So it's interesting. So you said I spent 20 years doing networking data and interoperability on massive systems between aircraft and ships and other things. And you learned that it's remarkably complex to derive data, to share data, to network it, to make it all work, even when you have single contracting authorities or everything else. Take that into the real world of commerce and individuals and stuff. It's a nightmare. They're just 
hundreds of thousands, millions of businesses and data and everything. It is fundamentally, nearly every system that we've got today has reached the limits of its ability. Health, no matter how many billions we spend on health, and in the UK we spent eight billion on the National Programme for IT, we never got a unified health record. We just can't do it, it's too complex. And so you realize that there has to be a simpler way, a simpler way of bringing it together. One of my favorite quotes is Oliver Wendell Holmes, who says, I don't give a fig about the simplicity this side of complexity, but I'd give my life for the simplicity the other side of complexity. And we are at peak complexity for data today. But there is actually a very simple solution the other side. And that is the individual, if you put them at the center of their data, everything else then works. And so it's the right thing to do ethically, but it's the right thing to do technically to make it all work. And it's those two things that really drive what we're doing. So, as you said, we set the company up in 2009, but actually we really didn't have the full vision for DigiMe in 2009. I'd created an innovation hub and we created a small company called SocialSafe then, which is why it's 2009. And that was purely to back up people's social data, right? And we looked at it and we said, well, we don't want to hold it. They should hold it themselves. So we built a, a very simple system, not very much. We didn't invest a lot of money into it. And it worked and people liked it, but it wasn't going to shake the world. But people want to do it. And we added a whole variety of things. Once we were sitting there with an application that allowed people to have some of their data, it led to a realization that this was very similar to the networking I'd done before. So if you looked before, we were trying to get lots of different platforms to share data together. And they can't do that easily. It's too complicated, too many moving parts, too many people. So you realized for these big systems before that you had to bring all the data to one point and then redistribute it. So here we were with this program that was already bringing data to one point. And for personal data, that one point is the individual. It has to be the individual. And three key insights make that clear to me and then to everybody else now, I think, that the individual has to be the point of integration. And the first is that the only person who knows about Julian, about me, or about yourself, is ourselves. Only I know which hospitals and doctors and bank accounts and social networks and wearables that I have. Nobody else does. They may know little bits, but only I know that full aspect. And then only I have a right to all my data. So if you're a service wanting to work for me and you need some bank data, the bank can say yes or no to you on a commercial relationship. But I can say yes without anybody telling me I can't say that. No government can tell me what I can do with my data or anybody else. So that's important. And only I have the right for all that data. No one can stop me having my data. So those three things, only I know where all my data is. Only I have a right of access for all my data, a copy. And only I have full rights to use my data means that the only place you can really bring the data together is at the individual. And as a sort of an example of that, I can get my health data, because I know where it's from, so I can get it from my GP. I can print it out. I can put it on the windows of my car and drive around the world, because I can do anything I like with my data. But if anybody else used my medical data for that purpose, that's a privacy breach, and there's a fine or jail. And so if you want to bring all the data together around an individual to then enable any new service, you have to do it at the individual.
There are no alternatives to that. And that's what DigiMe does. That is the center of what we do. And it is putting people at the center of their own data. So Julian, not many people see sharing data with companies as being conducive to their well-being. What are the reasons they should? Well, we've talked previously about personalized medicine, but we can just take simple examples. Uh, Diabetes is a modern scourge, and we want to be able to manage that. And we're getting better at understanding that that management is different depending on different people. It's not just keep your glucose level at one level. So if I want an application on my phone, for example, to tailor that evidence just for Julian, that phone may need to know what medications I'm on, may need to have my wearables data, may need to have other information. Now, if I can share that data, so the can is the really important part, and I can do so knowing that I've consented only for that app to use my data and for various other things, then what's the value to me? Well, it's kept me alive or kept me healthy. Why wouldn't I want to share the data? I'll pay for the application and I'll share my data. Now, that's not an extreme use case. That's a very common use case. But there's use cases across everything in health. I mean, basically for health, if you don't share your data, people cannot cure you, right? They just can't. And the more data you can share, the more accurately you can share it, the more that can be shared digitally so we can use the new technologies to analyze, to work out, to work out why we're unique. How do I differ from Annie, right? We're very different people. And therefore, what I need is very different. And so, of course, I want to share my data. Now, it's not just medical apps. You know, there's mental well-being. Maybe I share some of my social data. There's a fascinating research being done at the moment is, what if I share my social data so that you can see how my mood changes over time? Just semantic analysis and sentiment analysis. I share my location because sometimes my mood may go down if I go to a place or not if I go to another place. Share my wearables, how active am I? Because activity indicates. And my medications, you can put all that together with algorithms to be very tailored and help me do it. But look at the data I'm sharing. I'm sharing medical data, I'm sharing wearables, I'm sharing social data. I can't do that today, but if I can, and if I can do it with privacy, security, and consent, so I know that it's safe to share it with that company because of the contractual arrangements we've set up to do that, consent certificate is called, then it's definitely in my best interest to share that data. Julian makes a compelling case for the importance of the individual being able to share their data safely and securely, especially when it comes to your health. But what about in the well-being space when it comes to performance? Harry Jameson is an elite performance coach. He works with the physiologist Ollie Patrick to deliver wellness programs for corporates, hospitality and individuals. Let's hear Harry's thoughts on how important the right kind of data is to his work nowadays and how much that's changed over the past 20 years. I guess early 2000s, fitness was very focused on fat loss and muscle gain with a bit of nutrition sprinkled on the top. And what Ollie was doing in his practice was deeper physiological analysis. So really using data to inform what he would prescribe to people. In the fitness industry, nobody was doing that, and that fascinated me. And actually, to have metrics of progression that were sleep-based, gut health-based, recovery-based, was far more interesting to me than getting body fat calipers and just saying, are you leaner? You know, the CEO of a large organization or a very successful entrepreneur 
whilst they want to look good, the barometer that's going to move them up, move them along the continuum where I wanted to get them to was not based upon body fat, it was based upon other things. So really I used and leaned on Ollie for his ability to physiologically test my clients and for me to prove that my hypothesis, which is a very simple one, move more, nourish better, recover better, engage with things that make you happy. At the time we just started to use mindfulness and was using Ollie's heart rate variability protocols to track whether that was actually working. Just my theory that if you pull these parts together, and by the way, it's not just my theory, it's a collaborative theory along with Ollie and lots of research and experience. But is there this hybrid model of performance where you can treat this businessman or woman more like an athlete and less like a sort of PT client? And then you can sprinkle a little bit of Harley Street magic over the top and have a look at what's going on underneath the bonnet. If you were a mechanic, you wouldn't just polish the outside of a car. You would look at what was going on in underneath the car and what oil you were putting into it and how you could fine tune that beast. There's so much that can be achieved if you're able to deliver individualized programs for people. But clearly, security is a huge concern, one that's at the forefront of many consumers' minds. But for Julian, as you'll hear, there's a solution. There's two elements to this. The first is if you're aggregating all the data, that's got to be super secure. And I'm going to start by saying, yes, we've been audited by governments for safety, security, and privacy of health data. Everything else. So what I'm saying isn't just Julian saying it. We've been really audited up the yin-yang on this. But the most important thing is don't have a central repository holding millions of people's data. So decentralized. You'll hear a lot about this. There's a lot of buzzwords on the internet, Web3 and whatever, but essentially decentralization is a really key point. So each individual's data has to be stored in their own separate store, number one. Number two, it has to be thoroughly encrypted and secured, and it is doubly encrypted and all sorts of things that I could go into. Number three, you can't then have a central key store, right? Because now you've just centralized the decentralization. So the keys have to be decentralized. And in fact, DigiMe doesn't see, touch, or hold data at any time. It just, it just flows. So we don't hold the keys. So if everything is decentralized, and by the way, there's no blockchain in any of this before anybody says it's, you don't have to be blockchain to be decentralized. But So it's all decentralized, gives you the utmost security. The effort to break into one person's data would take even governments months. And so it's only worthwhile to break into millions of people's data. One person isn't there. We, we have what we call the Justin Bieber security model. It might be worth breaking into Justin Bieber's thing to see some photographs because you might make enough money, right, to justify it. But you can't even do that with us. So that's the decentralization. But then when I consent to share data, it's no longer in my control. So how do we deal with that? Well, of course, privacy legislation is there to say they're not allowed to use it for any other purpose. And remember, we have this explicit consent. But we take it further because it's actually a contracted law, contract law. And contract law is unlimited fines and everything else. So, it's, so the penalties for breaking the contract that you have made with the individual are much, much more severe in an ecosystem where you are contracting directly with the individual. When you're contracting business to business, the individual isn't involved. So, you know, it's data privacy law. But here you're contracting with the individual. But here's also the point. Why would you break it? Because if you wanted the data for another purpose, just ask again. You've already got the relationship, so you don't have to do it. People do things badly at the moment because it's hard to get hold of the data, and then they hoard it in case there's another usage. You don't need to. You can get the data, process it, throw it away. 
personal data in your servers, in your business servers, is toxic, you know, because you've got to secure it and do other things. The absolute best thing you can do is get it from an individual, process it for what you need, and then throw it away. What you're doing, Julian, and what you're describing is almost a redefinition of culture and perspective around sharing data. Tell me about your vision for a new personal data internet. The vision basically just expands on where we're going. So I, I'm absolutely certain, and it's not just me, there's, there's very, very many commentators and others. We're the leading company, but there's many, many um, people believe this, that in 10 years' time, it will all be decentralized in that sense for the data. But you as an individual, you wouldn't work with a service that didn't ask you for the data and then didn't give you your data back automatically. So the whole thing was automatic. So that as we go through life from a toddler all the way up to the point at which we exit, we build up this massive data repository and we can always choose what to do with it. And so therefore, we're carrying around our digital twin. And that's a name that will become known. Now, digital twins will be all of our data and algorithms that then work through that. There'll be a digital twin that represents us medically that you can interrogate and everything else. But that is effectively, we will have everything that is the digital twin that is a real digital twin, memories of everything, absolutely everything. It'll be thoroughly secure. And if you want any piece of it, if I want to share any piece of it, I will always have it. That's where we'll be in let's say 10 years, I think actually it'll be faster. These things had to tend to happen faster and they're accelerated. So it's probably five years. And if companies want to be on the leading wave of exploiting that, and exploiting is the wrong phrase because that's the bad word, but in using it for mutual benefit, if they want to be there, then they've got to be there fairly soon because the leading wave of companies has been thinking about this for a few years and is now moving to do that. And it just makes life simpler. But yeah, we'll think of it as... Every single person in five to 10 years will have their digital twin. Gosh, that is fascinating. With that in mind, what has the pandemic done for the perception of the personal data economy? And what do you foresee that digital twin creating in additional opportunities? In the sense of now, what's happening Yes, it is absolutely accelerating. The timeline for new clients to come on board has cut from six months to weeks. The timeline for new clients, and I'm talking big clients, to to start doing something, again, has changed from many, many months to a couple of months. So we're seeing a huge acceleration now because people now want to do things. So it's been tough for a couple of years, but when I said it's brought it forward two years, it's because they've collapsed completely the timelines for people to understand to do it. So some of the biggest clients we've got have literally taken maybe three days worth of effort to explain, show, and get them moving. Unheard of before the pandemic. We could have spent, uh, in terms of effort, we could have spent man months getting to that point, and we're now spending man days, not even man weeks getting to that point. And I think it's true to say that the acceleration of the adoption of DigiMe is truly wedded to trust. And to that point, looking forward, could you give some context on how big an issue trust is going to be in the future of business and sharing data? But it's all about trust, isn't it? It's all about trust because even though I've said we've made it easier, we've made it better, data and all the rest of it, 
if the individual doesn't trust you as a business, no matter what the value proposition, they will say no. Now, there's always percentages that don't, but they're not the percentage you need, right? It's a small percentage. There is, in everything we do, there is a trust that I will not be harmed, a trust that what I'm doing with you is a fair and reasonable exchange. So what we've done is we enable a trustworthy data exchange, but you have to be a trustworthy business. You have to portray trust. You have to, from the highest echelons all the way down, that trust must not be misplaced. You're at the highest levels of trust if people are going to share your data. So we've made it possible for people to trust you. But if they hear bad things about a company, if you do bad things, we'll cut you off. Right? That's actually our role as guardians of, of, of things, if you break the contract. But if you're not a trusted company, no matter what you say, people will not share their data with you. So trust is utterly important. You cannot move forwards without it. And how would you describe the connection between personal data sharing and well-being? Oh, I think it's 100%. You can't... So actually, I, I was just trying to think of examples from my own that I was paid to share, but I actually shared my VP of health. Why is my VP of health working for this company? Because he's had long-standing medical issues. He's been operated on two to three times and only just avoided being operated on the wrong data. So the wrong things to be done to him. Needs constant stuff going forward and needs to be able to share his data and never has been able to do it. So there's somebody who, okay, at a rather extreme end, has said, I can't be healthy if I can't share my data better. But, you know, we want to be healthier. I think nearly everybody does in one way. Now, some people want to do it easier rather than hard. But your health depends upon you sharing what is happening to you, how you're feeling, what you're on, your medication. If that's not accurate, if you can't do that, then the advice, the medications, the interventions that you get will be wrong. They won't work for you. And we worked with one big pharmaceutical company and I was a bit surprised, actually. I was a bit surprised. Why do you want to actually have an app that says to somebody, don't take my pill? You know, you kind of think, hmm. As he said, they said, well, it's very simple. Pills are expensive. And quite often we're not prescribed because we're too expensive. But we know that our pill only works for 50% of the people it's prescribed to. But if we can detect that and it worked for 90%, then our pill becomes less expensive per success because you're not wasting half of them so for us as a pharmaceutical company it is better to actually have less people having the pill because we're more likely to actually be used more widely that was a bit of a mind flip for me but they got it many 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 people have prescribed pills that aren't working for them because it's generic right and we should be prescribed something else imagine if we can share the data and instead of coming back to the doctor in six months a lot of people don't ever bother actually by the way the system can automatically say, you know, you had a heart problem. You should be up and running around by now. But your wearable's telling me you're not moving still. This pill ain't working for you. You know, we spend fortunes on interventions and everything else, and then we don't have that follow-up. That's just one part of it. Right? You can see, I mean, there's so many examples I can give from the work we've been doing. You have to share your data to get the best out of the system that we've got today. And we, by the way have to have systems that have the data because we can't afford to keep wasting medical interventions and health and, and everything else when it's not helping people because they're ill. And just think of the workforce. 
how many of your workforce aren't working effectively because they're not well enough because they haven't been able to share their data to get the interventions that you're probably paying for as a company? It's, it's a crazy system we're in at the moment, and it can be fixed very simply. You've heard a lot from Julian about the opportunities for more personalised data in the health space. And it's exciting to think about the opportunities that could arise if you were absolutely secure in the knowledge that your data could be saved and used whilst protecting your privacy. Let's hear from Ali Parser, the CEO and founder of telemedicine company Babylon Health. You'll hear from Ali later in the Health to Wealth series. Here's Ali's take on what we could achieve health-wise in future if we used our data efficiently and effectively. How hard is it to do what we did with testing with COVID for all sorts of other things? How hard is it to test everybody every year for all sorts of diseases to try to collect a lot of data? How hard is it to give everybody devices that can monitor their health, their heart rate, their COPD, their diabetes, their you name it, right? This These are not hard things to do. And how hard is it to collect all of that data, to analyze it all the time and be able to make sense of it? I mean, think of the sheer amount of data analysis that goes into self-driving cars, right? And all the data that companies are collecting from every street, every interaction with every car, any child, any person that can walk, every traffic light. And we analyze that and we try to predict. How hard is it to collect a little bit of data from it? This is not a hard problem. This is a problem that we're not focused on. It's a problem there is no incentives for. There's a problem that nobody's getting paid to do. And that is the challenge. The challenge is one of organization and intent. It's not one of technology and capability. So as Ali identifies, that data is out there, but it needs to be organized. Julian's already made the argument that putting the individual at the heart of all that data is the right way to go about this. And as you'll hear, if that's something you do decide to do in the future, for Julian, you won't need to do a lot to get yourself ready. Do you know the good news is over the years we've been doing this, the answer is very, very little, right? From an individual perspective, you will be presented with a consent certificate. So say I download that diabetes app and it'll say, I can give you generic advice or I'll give you tailored advice if you're prepared to share this with me. And you will see a consent certificate, which is designed to meet the bar for what we call explicit and informed consent. So very clear, who wants the data? What are they going to do with it? Where's the data going? Does it get shared? And some other items, very clear. So that you can say, okay, I understand that. Then if you say yes, you just need to be able to authenticate your data channels. Now, that means give the system the ability to get your health data, say, from the UK NHS or Dutch or wherever it may be, or from the wearables. And that's your total involvement as an individual. Now, you can then control the consent subsequently, and everything else happens automatically. But in a way that the data goes to your private decentralized library, that means there's no central place for it. There's nobody holds the key for it other than yourselves. And so therefore, there's no ability for people to come in the back door, look at the data or exploit your data. These are all technologies that are the core of what we do. But it's not very difficult to do. But here's the real beauty. And it's really easy for the companies who want access to it. They don't have to integrate with lots of different health services, lots of different wearables or whatever it may be. That's all already been done. They only have to register for the consent certificate, i.e. say what they're going to do. They get a token, which is a, just a long digital number. And whenever in their 
web service or their app, they would like your data, they just put that token into an API, which is a place where they just send it to, and then the miracle happens. Provided the individual says yes, the next is they'll be receiving data, and not only receiving data, but receiving in what we call normalized form. So it's a bit like it doesn't matter if, uh, if you speak English, and that's the normalized form, if the data was in Italian, Spanish, Urdu, Chinese, it will come to you as English. So you don't even have to translate or anything else. So you only have one place you have to ask for the data, the individual, one action to take, and then the data arrives. So it is orders of magnitude easier for businesses and services to get the data or researchers or whoever it may be. The only thing you have to have to operate in this new world as a service is a value proposition where the individual wants to say yes. What's moving fastest? Is it individual adoption or is it being driven by companies? No, it's very much driven by companies. And this is experience we've looked at. We've looked at both trying to say to individuals, hey, you should have your data because of all of these things you want to do, and then businesses. But individuals are really hard to move. Why do I want my data? Well, you want your data for this new world of services, but there've got to be services there. So it's designed so that services introduce people to this new world. And in fact, we made it so that, and let's go back to this eponymous diabetes app that I talk about as a good example, because we can get our head around it. I download the diabetes app. I've never heard of DGB. I've never heard of having my data. But the diabetes app says, if you can share your data, I can do these extra things for you. I say, yes, I can be onboarded with just two switch actions. I never have to have heard of DGB. I've never had to have done it before. So it's very much led by the services, but there doesn't have to be a pre-existing pool of people using DigiMe or anything else. It's designed so that it's, it can be dealt with directly from the service. And that's what we're doing this year. We've been working for three years with a fully functional product with big farmers and other medicals and small companies and researchers and governments. Um, we've got access to government health data and we've been fully validated that no one's ever has done before. And you're seeing now, this year, those are now starting to enter the marketplace. So for the person listening, Julian, or even for me, you're talking about personal empowerment, better quality output, and a dial-up of trust. Would that be accurate? Completely accurate. All three tick. What I'm seeing as a visual listening to you, Julian, is almost the difference between black and white and colour. So the more we share about ourselves, and I've heard you uh, use before the lovely phrase citizen centricity or citizen centric, a citizen centric proposition. In other words, an uber personalised view, perspective, sense of a person is enabled by all of the colouring in, if you will, you might get an outline of yourself with basic statistics, but the more we share and the more that that is layered together, the more coloured in we become as a proposition and therefore the more accurate responses, diagnoses, programmes of improvement or optimization can be. Is that true? Uh, totally. And by the way, you should have trademarked that before you told me, because I'm now going to pinch it. I've never used that analogy before. It's a very good analogy, go from black and white to colour. It is a very, very good analogy. That is exactly true. But it's not only do we get finer grain detail, better do better, we can do things we could never do before as well. So it expands the possibilities and then makes that which we do do already today much better. 
So the black and white of color is the doing what we do today much, much better. There's a, probably going to three-dimensional augmented reality is the, the next level, if you like, for the things that we can't currently do today. But you're absolutely right. I can't actually take credit. I've pinched that from another episode with a fabulous lady called Kate Cook on nutrition. And she was talking about the potency of nutrition and how as we dial that up, we can take ourselves from watching something in black and white to seeing full scope colour in terms of how we feel, our mood and our emotion. And you're very aligned in, in what you're talking about. So thank you, Kate. And can you give us one compelling takeaway as to why it's so important for me, you and the person listening to own our own data? We can't take advantage of all the digital economies got to offer us if we can't do it. We can't move to personalised medicine. We can't have personalised services. It's that simple. If we want personalisation, which we do, particularly in health, but across the piece, we have to have it. And the beauty is we're then in control. And... We don't like not being in control. If, if there is a scary part to the internet, it's not being in control. It's others in control, right? So you can remove the scare by being in control and you can now have personalised services. Truly illuminating insights from Julian Ranger there and so much food for thought for business strategy and future planning. Thank you for listening to this episode of Health to Wealth, a series created by Accor. Next time, you'll hear from clinical physiologist Ollie Patrick and elite performance coach Harry Jameson on the future of well-being and its importance to business performance. Please rate, review and follow Health to Wealth. You can find out more at healthtowealthbyaccor.com.